Today's reading is from Exodus and goes from chapter 1, verse 15, through to chapter 2, verse 10. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew woman during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Thank you, Emma, for reading for us this morning. Let's pray as we turn to reflect on the word that we have heard as Emma has read it to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would open your word to us and open us to it, that we might follow in your ways, that our lives would be full of your grace. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to the second part of our exploration through this book of Exodus. And we find in our passage this morning a surprising story of five incredibly brave women. It shouldn't be surprising, though, because women going right back to the first woman mentioned in the Bible have always played an important part in God's big story. It's Eve, not Adam, that we are told is the progenitor, the mother of all living things. And it's Eve's offspring 
It's to Eve's offspring that the first promise of a redeemer is made in Genesis 1, verse 15. And later in God's big story, when men have messed up or lost faith, it is women who often get things back on track. Women have played an important part in the story up until this story that we're looking at here in Exodus. I wonder if we're surprised. The original readers would have been surprised that women played an important part. The culture of the time of which the Old Testament scriptures speak and in which they were recorded was what we call a patriarchal culture. It was a culture where men were valued more than women. But the Bible, through these stories, shows us that that, that was not how God looked at things. To God, women were and are important, just as important as men, as valued human beings made in his image, and as people who work with him to bring about his plans to redeem the world. And women can screw things up just as badly as men. And that too is part of the Bible's story. But it isn't just in those ancient times that men were seen to be superior and women inferior and of little significance. That has also been the case for much of human history. And many would contend that is still the case today. At any rate, patriarchal culture has often been the lens through which people have read the Bible. And that, I believe, needs to change. It needs to change in my own reading as much as it needs to change in anyone else's reading of the Bible. Did you know that there are 111 specific women mentioned in the Bible? I wonder how many you can name. I can name a few, but it shows my bias that I can name far more men than I can women in the Bible. I need to do something about that. I need to do something about that by learning to read the Bible with my eyes wide open to the amazing way that God has used and worked with women throughout his divine history. So that's by way of an introduction to the story that we have before us this morning. It's one of those stories involving women that we often skip over or don't take much notice of. As I said before, there are five women here and they all show their bravery in different ways. The first two brave women in the story are named. Though interestingly enough, throughout the story of Exodus, the king of Egypt, the most powerful man in the story, is never named. He's just plain Pharaoh, which means king in Egyptian. And I wonder if the author is saying something here by naming those in the story whom others would deem powerless and insignificant and yet not naming the one most powerful and presumably most significant man. These two women are named. They are named Pua and Shifra, 
in verse 15, they are called Hebrew. They're called Hebrew midwives. Hebrew is a, an interesting designation. It's possible that it comes from the name Eber, who was a distant ancestor to the family of Israel. But some scholars believe that Hebrew was a class designation, that it was a generic term for a slave class in Egypt. So it's possible that these heroic women who defy Pharaoh's order to commit infanticide against Israelite children weren't even Israelites themselves. But out of solidarity for other oppressed people, and because of their fear of God and his ways, these two Hebrew women put their lives on the line to do what is right and obey God. So in the story, there are first the brave midwives, Pua and Shifra, and then there's Moses's mother. We later learn that her name is Jochebed. She, together with Moses's father, hid their child, again in defiance of Pharaoh, who, having failed at his more subtle plan to manipulate the midwives, now decrees to all Egyptians that all male Israelite babies, whenever and wherever they are found, should be thrown into the River Nile. Bear it in mind that the Nile itself was one of the gods in the Egyptian pantheon. So this instruction to sacrifice these babies was a macabre display of both religious and nationalist devotion that Pharaoh was calling for his people to engage in. Jochebed, at great risk, refuses to give her baby up, and so he is saved. After three months, however, the text tells us that she is able to hide him no longer. And so, ironically, she does what Pharaoh has asked the Egyptians to do. Jochebed puts the baby in the Nile River. But Jochebed does it not out of devotion to the gods of Egypt, but as an act of faith in the God of Israel. Jochebed puts her baby Moses, the text tells us, securely in an ark. Yes, that's right, an ark. It's the same word that's used in the story of Noah, do you, do you remember? And it is used, that word ark is used only in these two places in Scripture. This basket that Jochebed uses by God's inspiration to save Moses is an ark. The same word for the vessel by which God saved his people once before. And this is where the fourth brave woman in the story comes on the scene. Moses' sister Miriam, just a girl herself, is told to stand at a distance to watch out for the baby as he floats in the reeds on the bank of the river and to watch what might happen, what God might do. Later we will hear again of Miriam when the Israelites are miraculously saved from the Egyptian army through the sea. 
Miriam, together with her brother Moses, leads the people of God in a worship service, a service full of both singing and dancing, a woman leading worship for the first time in Scripture. That day, as Miriam watches, the fifth and most unlikely brave woman in the story comes onto the stage. This fifth woman, the text tells us, is Pharaoh's own daughter. Now, Pharaoh probably had many daughters, as he probably had many wives. Even so, this daughter probably knew very well about the edict that her father had made about Israelite baby boys. But nonetheless, this princess of Egypt takes pity on this baby, and she takes him in to be her own child, and she's the one who gives him the name Moses. The one thing that stands out for me out of all of these women is that they defy the powerful man Pharaoh. For each of them, to one degree or another, they engage in acts of civil disobedience. And though the text doesn't explicitly say it, they do it, I think, because within them there is a deep sense of compassion for children, and they believe that that is God's heart too. Now men, of course, can have that compassion as well. But I, I may be wrong here, but I think that this compassion for children comes more innately to women, whether they have children or not. Of all the five women in this story, only Jochebed was a mother, as far as we know. All five of these women, be they Israelite, Hebrew, or Egyptian, have a deep-down, God-given compassion for these children at risk, and protecting them was an obedience to God, the text tells us. Whether you are a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, it's often hard to stand up for what you know is right. Consider the situation of all five of these women for the moment. Here was Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the most powerful country in the world at that time. Pharaoh in the Egyptian thinking was even considered to be a god himself. Everyone believed in him. Everyone followed him. What must it have been like to stand up against him and disobey his direct orders like the midwives did? And what must it have been like to be someone like the princess whose very existence depended on Pharaoh? to go against what he had decreed. Acts of civil disobedience like this are common in the Bible. Think of Daniel and his friends. Think of Esther. Think of Jesus himself in the Gospels. And, and then think of the disciples in the book of Acts. At the root of all these acts of disobedience is the fact that the world that we have it is not as it should be. That God has a higher standard than we are often ordered 
to live by in our society and in our world. The one problem I have with the story of these five women is that for all of them, things come right in the end. They survive. The midwives are, we are told, are rewarded by God. God gives them families of their own as a reward. Jochebed, even though she initially gives her baby up, in the end gets him back. She's called by the princess to take him back and nurse him. The princess herself is surprisingly not punished for her disobedience to her father. Miriam, too, comes through this story unscathed. And whereas the survival of these five women and the rewards that they receive is, is something to be celebrated, I think it's important to note that things do not always turn out well for those who disobey the pharaohs of this world to obey God instead. We'll see that only too clearly in the rest of the story of Exodus. Yes, we believe that ultimately God will be just. We believe that God will re reward the right and punish the wrong. We believe that God's ways in the end will prevail. But in the interim, our calling is to obey him and not consider the short-term or even the medium-term consequences of our acts of obedience. Our calling is to trust. Our calling is to trust that the judge of all the earth will, in the end, do what is right. When I first started to prepare this sermon, I wanted to call these five women we have here heroes or heroine. But I decided against that. In the Bible, there is truly only one hero, and that's God himself. That's where I take issue with DreamWorks. This story in Exodus is not about the prince of Egypt. It is about the God of the universe. And the Bible's contention is that it is ultimately God who does the saving. An important point, however, especially in this bit of the story, is that God can and does work through people. He can and does work through people like these five women that we've looked at today. God can and does work with and through them, no matter how powerless they may feel. God can and does work through them when they tune into God's heart and God's ways. May we, you and me, also be the kind of people that God can use for his work in our world today. May God give us courage like these five brave, brave women. May he give us courage to work with him, even when it means standing up against the likes of a pharaoh.